Hey everyone, it's Justin from Inverse, and we want to let you know we have a whole new series of topics prepared just for you. They're going to be a little different. We've been following the Sabbath school topics for all four quarters every year, but now we're going to divert a little bit. We've gotten a lot of feedback from social media about young adults all around the world wanting to study their own topics. So we're going to follow the world church, but take a little riff on each topic. So for the next quarter, we're going to look at not Ezra and Nehemiah, but only the book of Nehemiah from the perspective of biblical leadership, how young adults can take over the world for Jesus. So we're really excited about this change. We want your feedback, and hopefully you're just as excited to study the Bible with us. Join our conversation here on Inverse. Purposelessness is the issue of our age. We're like pieces of little plastic floating in the Pacific Ocean with nowhere to go. And with that lack of purpose is a lack of passion for life. On this episode, we're looking at a new book, the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1, on how this character develops purpose in his life. We got a new logo, a new topic, a new scope, new everything. But same people, stick around. Coming to you from Silver Spring, Maryland, welcome to Inverse, a Bible-based conversation on life principles, contemporary issues, and thought-provoking perspectives. Now here's your host, Justin Kim, with Inverse. Hey friends, we are in the studio again for a new season, a new topic, and we're so excited to be studying the book of Nehemiah especially in the context of leadership. And whether you out there are a leader, a political leader, economic leader, maybe you're a student council president, uh, or you're just a regular person, we are all called to different forms of leadership according to the Bible. So in the studio, I have my, my team, my friends, my gang here, and we're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 1, and we're going to stories about our former, you know, gang uh, lifehood and, and uh, whatever. Uh, but we need prayer, as you see. We need prayer right now. So Siku, can you open us up with, uh, with the Lord's blessing? Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you for the privilege that it is to study your word. We pray that you would open our minds and our hearts to understand scripture, that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher, and that we would leave the study of the Bible as transformed people. We pray these things in your name. Amen. 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 So Nehemiah chapter 1, where is that? Israel, verse 1 through something there. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. It came to pass in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. All right, so we're in the beginning of Nehemiah's inspection. Let's help us get into this. Give us some pre-context for the context to get into the text. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> so the book of Nehemiah finds us at the end of the Babylonian captivity, mm -hmm. which is the captivity he references in the text. And this captivity ended because the Persian Empire had conquered the Babylonian Empire. Mm -hmm. Somehow Nehemiah, as a Jewish slave and captive, had, was elevated to this very high position where now he's in Shushan, in the palace. Mm -hmm. And from this place, despite the fact that he's living the life of luxury, he 
comes in contact with some of his old countrymen and through this contact develops a sort of interest, a curiosity of how are things in terms of the people, how is the city back home in Jerusalem, and he gets a report that's less than favorable. And that ultimately compels him into several months of prayer and of ultimately of planning and sensing a, a burden and a calling in a sense that God is really moving on his heart to do something about this problem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and this guy is a, a Jew at the really uh, white-collar, upper-class position here, and he sees uh, his brothers, uh, Hanani. We don't know if they're his biological, but you know, mm-hmm. but back from the hometown, he's like, hey, how's, how's the old village doing? And he gets a bad report. So Israel, wh- why, why does he react this way? What's, what, uh, what's his investment there? Well, well, first of all, that's where he comes from. Mm. And, and as, you know, especially back in the day um, when kings would conquer, other nations would come and conquer. You remember like Daniel and his three friends. They mm. would take the very, very best of society mm-hmm. and they would elevate them. And this seems to be kind of what has happened with Nehemiah. He, mm. he finds himself in a very good position. And I don't know if there's an issue of guilt or, you know, something that he was blinded to before is now Mm -hmm. revealed to him. Mm -hmm. But he realizes, first of all, his hometown is completely, the the walls are broken down. Mm -hmm. So there's a, there's a visual impact that has happened in his society. The other thing is that the people there are in reproach, right? So there's something that has happened to the people. There's something that has happened to a city. And I think that there's an overwhelming sense of, man, my situation at home is not a good situation. Mm. And it develops a burden within the heart of Nehemiah. I remember um, just a couple years ago, actually, I went back to uh, the place where I was born and uh, I visited and I was (laughs) in California. (laughs) Uh, What did you say? Mexico. 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 Okay. Although for, uh, I'll leave that alone. Uh, So, you know, I I went back, I went back to, um, I went back to California with a friend, and, and I was kind of trying to show them, hey, this is the place where I grew up, and kind of give them a tour. And I remember how things were so drastically different now as an adult than when I was a little child. Mm. And so when I, when I went back, I, I, I kind of I was hit back a little bit, like, oh, this is not at all what I remember it like. Mm. And uh, you start kind of thinking more as an adult rather than as a child, and your perspective is very different. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Nehemiah... So he was, is, he's uh, kind of growing up here. Yeah. Yeah? Well, I mean, he's living up in the palace, and then he gets a reality check back yeah. from his past. He's used to life in a certain way, not realizing that, you know, things back at home, they have not evolved like you have evolved. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Um, the, the Medo-Persian Empire, my understanding is that there was an, an edict or some command where the Jews could go back mm-hmm. and to to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. And he right. technically should have been one of those people. So maybe there's guilt on that level. Yeah. Or, or we don't know. It's not mentioned in the text. Right. But you can kind of get look into it. And then he's assuming that these guys would have built Jerusalem by now, but they haven't. Um, Siku, verse 4. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of reactions going on there. Can you, what's going on there, verse 4? I mean, it's a very visceral reaction that yes, he it has. It's, it's, he's mourning. It's a very emotive. Mm. And... You know, at, at one level, you could be like, what, what's, what's the big deal? You know, the, walls are, the wall is broken down, its gates are burned with fire. But walls and gates represent the security of, of, of the people, mm-hmm. right? The, the safety that they can look to. So it's not just the 
the physical reality points to, I guess, the state that the people are in. And the fact that the walls are broken down, you know, and the, and the gates are burned with fire, and there's, there has been no restoration that has happened. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it makes me think about, like, in our lives, there are situations that where walls are broken down and gates are burned with fire, you know, and it's, it leads to, like, a lack of security, a lack of a feeling of safety. And Nehemiah looks at his fellow brethren, and it troubles him that they are going through this situation. Um, so I guess I'm thinking, like, personally applying, you know, Nehemiah's thing, like, do I look at people and see their pain, see their lack of security, see their situation that is less than ideal, so to speak, yeah. and does it affect me viscerally, not just, oh, you know, that sucks, you know, but he he's like, something needs to happen about this. He's weeping and praying about it. Yeah, there's an emotional reaction. There's a physical reaction. He's sitting down. There's a spiritual reaction. He's fasting and praying. And I want to ask you guys this. What, what does the wall represent? Okay, we, the, the, the wall is in the news a lot, and we're, we're refraining from the temptation to make these, uh, <laughs> these analogies about the wall. And if you don't know anything about the wall, God bless you guys out there. But many people know about this darn wall. This is not that wall that the Bible is talking about. No. So no. what what is this ball? What is this wall uh -huh. in Nehemiah's life? Uh, well, clearly, I, this is this. It's not to be taken literally, Sebastian. Correct. And and I think for for Nehemiah, what he's looking at is the wall represents not just the degradation of his people, mm. but it also is attached to their religion and also to the spiritual calling that God had mm. upon them as a people. Yeah. This was supposed to be the city set upon a hill. That someone is, you know, our eight men are going to take the skirt of him that is a Jew and say, take me with you. Teach me of the ways of the Lord. And Nehemiah is thinking, how are we going to fulfill God's purpose with broken down walls and broken down people? Mm -hmm. And in immediately, in essence, those walls ultimately represent what it means to him to be a Jew mm -hmm. and what he was supposed to represent in the world. Mm -hmm. And so his high position in Persia is nice for you. But if it's not going to help further your ultimate central identity and your purpose as a Jew, then Nehemiah is, is recognizing there's a lot being lost here. There's I love a lot the points that destroyed. you bring out that it's not only the project itself that's broken down, but the people themselves yes. are also broken down. You see that pan out through, through the entire book of Nehemiah, but there's a dual objective. Yes. It's also, it's also a testament to God mm. because God had... You know, God had said, I'm going to work through my people. You're going to be the city on the hill. It mm. cannot be hid. You're going to be the theater upon which the grace of God is manifested to the whole world. Uh, on you, Israel, I'm going to place everything is going to revolve you, around. Israel, the country. The country, right? yeah. Not, not me too as a person. <laughs> the, yes. Lord is, the Lord is using me. So, uh, and, and so, you know, so you have, you, have this, you have this place, this theater that God has established for the world to see how... If you follow God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Israel, that, that you know, you will be blessed, uh, and so forth and so on. Now you have all these promises which don't coincide with the reality of what is taking place. Mm -hmm. and, and this is an embarrassment to, not only to the people, but also to the God of the people, yes. you know. And so now the, the crazy thing about this is that Nehemiah is now kind of like disassociated with that. Mm. You know, he's actually on the side of the other team who has, mm -hmm. who has essentially down the road conquered Israel, mm -hmm. right? It was by Babylon. Now you have the, the second part of the image of Daniel 2. Now you have Medo-Persia. So it's like Nehemiah is on the other side of the fence and he's looking into 
a very embarrassing situation, which is the people Man, of we, God. There's, there, there's so much to break down. Man, I just love what you're saying. So let's, let's, let's tie this up. How can we apply, how, how can, how does this apply in the contemporary context for, for young adults, for regular adults, for super old adults and, and old adults? Yeah. What, what is, what is, how do we apply that? Well, for me, for me, it's going to be, if I call myself a Christian. Yes. And then people look at me and yes. it's like, oh, you're a Christian, but you're always mad. Right. Oh, you're a Christian, but you, you know, you, you use foul language. Right. Oh, you're a Christian, but you cheat on your taxes and so forth and so on. It's like, this is an embarrassment, mm -hmm. right? Or if I look at my church, you know, oh, like you, you say your church is awesome, but look at all the mm -hmm. internal struggles that are going on. You kind of look at yourself as, as a business person. Mm -hmm. You look at your church and you're like, oh, man, I'm on the outside, but my church is an embarrassment to God. I feel, and, and so forth and but so you on. Can, you can take that even to a physical, literal sense. If you say your church is, you know, the remnant church, or you say, like, this is God's church, or these are God's people, and you're like, well, look at your building. Look at your parking lot. Look at the, the way the church looks inside. Yeah, you say, how can this be for the God of heaven? And Nehemiah is grappling with that same concept, that it wasn't just what the physical, literal, materialistic pieces represented, but what they communicated to the world around about mm -hmm. God. Mm -hmm. So your God is the God of heaven, the God of gods, and this is his city. Yeah. This is his temple. Yeah. Broken down and all these right. different things. And this podunk rattly. Who's yeah. going to follow yeah. a God yeah. that can't even keep your little yeah. city protected? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think in, in essence, what it is, is that the lifestyle things that we have, you know, so Christians are not supposed to do X, Y, and Z in their lives. Those things aren't, they don't save you. You do them because you're saved, but then they become a testimony to the world of the God that you're worshiping. Yeah. And so that's why your lifestyle matters. That's why the way that we treat our churches matter. That's why, you know, even dressing, the way we dress to go to church, like it's saying, you're, you're saying something about the God that you're going to worship. Mm -hmm. So the external stuff, it's not that the external stuff in and of itself is important, yes. but it points to something, um, our relationship with God and the God who was. Yeah, I, I love these externalities. Even on a literal level, though, I just see that, you know, there's, there's, there's Christians out there who are working on nuclear weapons or they're in, mm -hmm. in corporate world, and, and then they do that for six days, and then they come to church, and they're like, well, we need to feed the poor, and we need to, you know, save life and whatever. Right. There's, a, there's a dissonance between these two things. Yes. Uh, we're going to get into this. We're going to get, we're just scratching the surface here. We're going to come back, after we come back from the break, we're going to look at what did Nehemiah do to develop this, this, this purpose, this holy purpose that's developing. And maybe, maybe that's developing in your mind right now. Stay tuned after the break. Has Inverse been a blessing to you? Do you have questions, comments, or feedback you'd like to leave us? Find us on social media by searching Inverse Bible on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube. While there, join us, like us, heart us, thumbs up us. Our handle again is Inverse Bible, no spaces. Now, back to the discussion. Hey, welcome back. In Nehemiah chapter 1, we were looking at the first half of the segment, how the worldview of Nehemiah was coming to a, I don't know what the right word is, but a crash point, a collapse point, and he's realizing, I've been living this life, and at one point, one punctiliar event in his life, 
all of that is breaking down, and he realizes, what do I do? And it's very interesting in Nehemiah chapter 1. He doesn't throw away his position, but he actually subjugates it to the larger worldview, the biblical worldview. Yes. And so we're looking at uh, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4. And Sebastian, what, what are some other elements going on here in Nehemiah's life? We, look, we looked at his political, the exterior, his worldview, yes. but there's also on a cultural level, there's an interesting dynamic going Absolutely. on. Absolutely. There's a certain sense of your national cultural pride. You're living in Persia, but you're a Jew. And in the world in which we live in, which globalization is huge now, mm. people may be born in one country and are living in another. Especially we have these first world, second world, third world concepts mm. of how the world is described and mapped out, the global north versus the global south. And in my culture, in Caribbean culture, you have this idea that, okay, you came from Jamaica or you came from Trinidad and now you're in the States and you're living a nice job and you're making money, the expectation is that you should be sending money back. And every time you come to visit, you should be bringing gifts, you should be bringing clothes, you should be paying for this person to go to school. Mm -hmm. And I think in Nehemiah, it raises this, this burden that there's a certain biblical basis to say if you are in a position where God is blessing you in another foreign land, mm -hmm. that perhaps God may be laying a burden upon you for your own culture, for your own country, your own people, in using that position to leverage it for the purpose of God mm -hmm. um, and seeing where the, where things are today as they are. And so I, I, I'm very, I sense as a Caribbean person that you have this tension because a lot of us resent that idea that it's like, well, I worked, I went to school, I did all this. And now there's this expectation that I have to take care of these people because I'm in my position. But I think Nehemiah raises a question that you should really pray about that yeah. and consider if God it's is not a Caribbean a perspective either. I mean, it's a, like you said, it's an immigrant perspective. You yeah. leave one country to go to another, and usually that second country is more prosperous, yep. more opportunity, it's higher. And so you're living that worldview, that, that country's worldview yep. for you, and then God's like, no, I got a larger one. And so this is, this is a crisis not for Nehemiah. This is for every modern, yeah. young professional, immigrant, yes. non-immigrant. It's a breaking down of your yeah. current lifestyle. Absolutely. Yeah. Siku. To point out for Nehemiah how, how this realization, I guess, as we've been calling it, happens, is in verse 2. 2. Um, it says, you know, the brethren came, and it says, and I asked them mm -hmm. concerning the Jews who had escaped. Um, it starts with asking the right questions. Mm -hmm. And Nehemiah asked a question which led to certain revelations. And it may be, you know, the situation, it's not that the situation didn't exist before he knew about it. Yes. Him asking the question did not develop the situation, is what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. yes. But he asked, he was asking the right questions. And in order to get, I guess, coming to that place of purposefulness and developing a purpose is asking the right question, like being curious about the right kind of things. And here he was curious about what was happening with his people, what was happening mm -hmm. back home with mm -hmm. God's people. I wonder if, and this is not a, not a question, but just me wondering, like, if he knew what he was getting himself into. Yeah. Like, he's just like, hey, hey, dude, what's going on? How, how, how's, you know, the pizzeria back home? And then this caused this catastrophe yeah. and a new purpose uh, to develop and a new direction for the rest of his life. And it's to your point, consider the idea that he could have been so busy being a cupbearer, being successful at what he was doing in Persia, that when he asked that question, like you said, he's not even ready for what's about to come mm. because in his mind, he may be saying, God has already blessed according to what he said prophetically. Mm. He said the edict would come and we would be able to go back. So his assumption is someone else 
will make sure that that so is he's fulfilled. He's thinking he's already in line with God's everything perfect. God called me here. He raised me up in the palace. And, oh, God gave the edict. They're going back to Jerusalem. It's going to get rebuilt. Because that's, that's sobering for all of us because we always think, hey, we're, we're good. I mean, we're supposed to be on this TV show. We're, we're supposed to, this, this is where God, and God's like, no, I want you to be in, you know, Maui. I, I don't know. Yeah. Maui. I'll go to Maui. It's real. It's real. If there's anything about the book of Nehemiah, especially the first chapter, is that there's a lot of questions. We don't know what Nehemiah is thinking. We don't know what his life is mm-hmm. like before. We don't know why this uh, statement is so, or this question is so transformational. That is important for us to underscore because what emerges from all this is that we don't have to have all of our questions answered in order to be qualified to be a servant for Jesus Christ. And that's the emerging theme for me in the yes, first yes. part of Nehemiah. We can have all these questions, even, even questions about the spirituality of Nehemiah. What's he doing serving in Persia as a king's mm-hmm. cupbearer? Mm-hmm. Why did he not go with the people when they went back? There's so many things, but within all these questions emerge the fact that at one point in history, God placed a burden upon Nehemiah, mm-hmm. and he responded to that burden with, prayer with fasting with weeping in other words he responded yes. and accepted the burden that the and lord I love that i think our generation needs burdens yeah. yeah we we shirk burdens we shirk responsibility but now this is coming from the lord and let's continue on here verse five nehemiah his reaction is a prayer this is not any normal prayer this is not thank you for this food lord jesus prayer this is a deep felt <laughs> prayer so sebastian let's go to verse five and read on there and i said I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open, that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night, for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling from my name. Okay, verse 10, Siku, can you pick up? Now these are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servants prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. All right, so this is a long prayer, but still a good prayer and relatively well, it's a short prayer, too. There's a longer prayer. What, what's going on? What are some elements we can, we can break down in that prayer? Nehemiah, one thing that struck me is, is the, the use of, the inclusive use hmm. um, that, that Nehemiah uses. Like in verse 7, we have acted. Um, he actually makes it clear in, at the end of verse 6, both my father's house and I have sinned. Mm-hmm. So Nehemiah doesn't see himself as separate to the situation that's happening in Jerusalem. He actually includes himself in that. He says, the reason we are in this is because we have sinned. Yes, it may not have been me specifically because it was their um, ancestors who had, you know, um, been taken into captivity, but he takes ownership Mm. 
you know, of the sins of his people. Yes. Um, and that, that really struck me because he's, he sees himself as part of this, of the problem mm-hmm. and as part of the solution. And consider, well, okay. And consider like the patience of God, right? That if Nehemiah indeed feels like I sinned by indulging in my comfort lifestyle mm. and not trying to fulfill the prophecy of God that we're going to rebuild this thing. And I just put it off on someone else to do. And, and I focused on myself that he's saying, man, this situation has gotten so dire, it's awakened him up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's awakened him. It's a, he's awakened, mm-hmm. and he's been jolted into a point to say, look what you have neglected. Mm-hmm. Look what you've done. And now he's saying, it's not just them. It would be easy for me to say, oh, our father sinned. That's why he went into captivity. But now, look, you're also part and parcel of the problem. And sometimes our calling can come out of our failures and out of our neglect of our spiritual duties that when we come to the realization through the patience of God, I'm going to lead you, and eventually one day you may come face-to-face with the reality of this is what I've been doing all this time. And yet at that very moment, God in his perfect timing and providence is like, this is the occasion to actually call you to do what I wanted you to do in the first place. I I love this because he's not, he is not complaining and Mm -hmm. blaming the other, maybe it's too superficial of 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 an observation, (laughs) but for me it's just more simple, like there's problems in the church, Mm-hmm. And I can easily say right. it's because of the pastor that our AY stinks. It's mm-hmm. because of our, you know, head elder. He doesn't understand what young professionals are going through. Yep. And, I mean, there's so many old people or there's only young people. There's not enough old people. And I don't, whatever the complaint is, he just simply says, hey, it's their fault and it's my fault. Mm-hmm. And he's praying uh, intuitively, like, Lord, use me in some way. At the end, he says, for I was the cu- king's cupbearer, and he's mm-hmm. opening himself to, Lord, use even my position as a as a nuclear scientist or as a bartender in some way. <laughs> use that, or, you know, uh, anyway, you just you know, incorporate that into to your worldview. Maybe i got to quit my job. <laughs> and if you're a bartender, come back to not tending... Bar- okay, Israel, comments. Um, Save me here. There's something, something that, that comes out for me is the fact that Nehemiah has a clear understanding of the character of God. Mm. So in verse 8, he says, remember, I pray the word that you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. So he's like, look, remember, remember what you have said. And there's many components to, uh, to this prayer, which uh, you'll talk about in your journal, right? There's many components to your prayer. I've read that. <laughs> now, the, the, the one component that impacts me the most is the fact that he goes back to, to, to taking God at his word. There's that component of the word of God, the promises of God. Mm -hmm. So he says, God, remember your word. You said to us that if we were unfaithful to you, you would scatter us. Now that clearly, if you look around, God, this has happened. You've you've kept your promise. But then in verse 9, it says, and I love verse 9, it says, but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, the second part is the most beautiful part. Though some of you uh, were cast out to the farthest parts of the heaven, Yet I will gather them from there. Mm. In other words, he's saying like the power of God's word and the vision that God has is that even if you disobey my, my word, even if you disobey me and disobedience to my word causes you to spread to the uttermost parts of the world, just as I have been responsible for your scattering, I will also be responsible for your gathering. And, and, and what I love about this passage is the fact that you cannot escape. Like, like Nehemiah is not worried. What if, what if one person is missing? Mm-hmm. And this has, 
this has impact in terms of the grand vision that God has given to his people. Mm -hmm. Like God is sometimes, or God will always place upon his people a burden that is so heavy that does not make human sense. Mm -hmm. He puts this burden on us to, to win a soul for him. And you think, how are you going to do it? Well, here you find God is able and capable. With, with that scattering, a very interesting thing is that he's part of that scatteredness. Yeah. Yes. He's, he's out in the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. He's like, man, I, my position now is a sign of my people's disobedience. Yes. And so he's claiming the promise. He's like, Lord, reroute me even if you have to. And he's, he's opening himself to the presuppositions of heaven and yeah. saying, whatever you got to do, do. And, and I, I love that openness. There's a, there's a lot of pain in here. There's a lot of burden. There's a lot of there's a lot of a lot, a lot of negative in, in a sense, like heaviness. Mm -hmm. But in a sense, that's good. That's that's a good heaviness. There's a yes. good weight to that. Uh, in our day and age, we need more responsibilities, more burdens. But this is the, the the root of purpose and passion, and we don't have that in our lives anymore. How many of you want it? You can only develop it through prayer. Join with us as we pray and as we study the Bible in developing passion and purpose in our lives. Hopefully we've been a blessing. God bless you. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to Inverse, a Bible-based conversation with Callie Williams, Israel Ramos, Jonathan Walter, Sebastian Braxton, Siku Dako, and your host, Justin Kim. Inverse is brought to you by The Hope Channel, television that changes lives. For this and more inspiring episodes, visit inverse.hopetv.org. Find us on social media, hashtag InverseBible. Until next time, this is Inverse.